In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus begins his public ministry with a message of, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And today we're going to break down this message of repentance and answer some questions about this nearing kingdom of heaven. Confession without repentance is hollow, and to truly repent, one must enact a change of mind where they have turned away from a certain behavior. So, welcome to Kingdom of the Logos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure produced by clergy in the Church of the Nazarene. I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor, and of course, Anthony is here with me in the studio. I'll let Anthony say hello to everyone. Yep, hello. Pastor Anthony over there. And today we are going to be talking again about the adventure of holiness and what it means to go out on that adventure. And we're going to be talking a lot about the way, what it means to be on the way of Christianity, the way of life. And we're also studying the Didache. And in the study of the Didache, you'll find there are two ways, the way of life, the way of death. All that's relevant to our message today. We do have a new website that's up now that's called kingdomofthelogos.org. I think if you go to kingdomofthelogos.com, it will still forward you there. We don't have a lot of stuff on there yet, but it's a new site coming up, so do check that out if you're interested. And also, we're hoping to put up some material where you can read and interact with the Didache, which is this ancient handbook that was in the church. It's very instrumental. Um, it's shaped a lot of our theology, even though it's something a lot of people aren't familiar with. But for this message, we're going to be talking about this question of the kingdom of hand coming near. What does it mean? Is it apocalyptic? Is it doomsday-like? You know, a lot of people throw mysterious connotations with this. But we hope today we'll be able to get to the root of a lot of that. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus begins his ministry after John is arrested. And in this gospel, we see Jesus's public ministry beginning with a phrase that is reminiscent of the message that John had out in the wilderness. So today, if we'll look at Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, we will find the following verse. And I actually let Pastor Anthony read that for us. So if you would just read that one verse, Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is, is near. All right, so we look through the Gospels, and again, the Gospels have a little bit different perspective. And when Jesus' public ministry begins here in Matthew, he comes out saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, when it comes to repentance, we know that confession without repentance is truly hollow. If one is remorseful of their shortcomings, they should feel a sincere desire that their heart and mind be transformed away that improper behavior. And as we study this message of repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, the operative focus that I want us to have today, this operative word is repent, to enact the metanoia. And now metanoia is a Greek word that is made up of uh, prefix meta, and then the Greek root noia. And noia, which is a Greek word, it pertains to the mind and one's ability to think or perceive things. When combined with the prefix meta, it really means a change of the mind. You are going beyond where your mind was at now. You're going in a new direction. Your mind was going down one way. It was in a certain sort of mode of operation where it had a particular bend to it. It wanted a certain amount of things done, and they all had to be with a certain slant. But whenever one enacts the metanoia, they are having a change in the mind. The mind is no longer going in the same direction that it once was. Those behaviors, those things which were corrupt, those things which were bad, the things which would cause people to you know, feel bad, have remorse and regret, those things are now changed. Um, there's a, a change in the mind when one enacts the metanoia, the way that you think about the world, the way you perceive the world, it has changed. Now, as we understand our Christian history, the early Christians, they understood that 
Christianity was the way. In fact, the way is what was often referred to when discussing the Christian faith. It was not known as Christianity to its early followers, and it was known as simply the way. Ahodas. You want a little bit of Greek there. And as we understand, life is something which is moving. Life is actually pretty fluid. It's breathing. It's headed in a direction. And time flows with our consent. And whether we give consent or not, time is going to flow. It doesn't need our consent. It flows without our consent. And it also flows without our control. Our bodies age, and time continues to go on no matter how we feel about it. Furthermore, life is continually giving us new situations to react to. A lot of people reduce this platitude of thinking down to say life is a journey. And there's a lot of truth to life being a journey. But at the same time, we shouldn't shy away from saying there are distinct things which go on in life. Not everything is, is fluid. There are specific points that have important meaning as we go through the journey and the continuation of life. And speaking of these particular points, which seem to, to point out as sharp edges and jagged lines across our mode of existence, we find that there are things which really shape us. And if you've ever gotten to an argument with someone or experienced a really miserable situation, I know recently I had to get a new pair of sunglasses. I lost my other sunglasses. I'm fairly organized and I'm a pretty orderly person. I think Anthony can kind of attest to that. I like everything to be laid out meticulously. I kind of have little rituals I go through throughout the day. And most of that is done to prevent anything from ever being lost. Um, I have lost things in the past and been like, this will never happen again and kind of got there. But the inevitable truth of life is stuff is going to happen. You're going to, to lose another pair of glasses. And there's prescription sunglasses, I should say. So it's not just like losing a, um, a few dollars there. Um, but things happen. You may get into an argument with people you love. You may do something at work and you say, well, I don't ever want to experience that again. I'm never going to allow that to happen again. And things beyond your control happen and you find yourself in that same miserable situation. And this is really what is the deal with life. Life is throwing new situations at us all the time. And we have to decide how we're going to react to them. How are we going to interact with the world? And when we find ourselves coming to this word repent, it is saying you are going to do something which is actually going to fundamentally change the trajectory of your life. You're not going to be on that same pathway anymore. A lot of times we can look at the path we're on and kind of see where things are going, but to enact the Metanoia is to enact a change in the mind that says, I don't want this to happen anymore. Now, that doesn't mean that one can simply wish away all the difficulties of the world, but at the same time, we can have changes in our mind which kind of shape our character. Life is not something which is static, and we cannot pretend that it is. There are fine moments in life which are, are fixed, and they have a distinct significance. Yet, as we continue to move through time, we are perpetually being faced with new situations. And Christians have understood for a long time that there are two ways that people can live on. They can live on the way of life, which is found through Christ Jesus, or they can live on the way of death, which is where we find ourselves in a fallen creation. As we understand Christian theology, and really a lot of today's lesson is sort of basic Christian orthodoxy, and of course orthodoxy, if you're not familiar with what that word means, it comes from a, another set of um, ancient words, and ortho means straight or correct. It is the right way of thinking. You have like teeth, where you go to an orthodontist, they're going to straighten your teeth, ortho straight. And then doxy, sort of this idea of doxology. Dox is, is connected with glory, this sort of the revelation of the divine. Orthodoxy is the correct revelation of the divine. It's the correct way to think about God, really, is what orthodoxy is. And when Christ come, he realized that there really is this 
reality where sin has come in and people are born into a state of sin where they're just naturally on this way of death. Now, it wasn't the way that humanity was created to be. It wasn't the intended natural state that God gave us, but it is the inherited state where we find ourselves. And Christ did not come to condemn people to the way of death, but rather, as Christ came, the world was already pretty effective at condemning itself. Ever since the fall of man and a sin, creation has been set on the path of death. And when we are born, we are born into this fallen state, inherited from our ancestors, and we are moving towards death. You know, recently I had a, a little dog that passed, and, um, and even Anthony, he, he came and he found a, a possum that was under the church. And we are reminded that without the breath of life, you know, things decay quickly. We look around us, even at something like a pair of glasses that may get missing. You know, glasses, they only last for so long, and even if you keep them, they're going to get scratched, or maybe your vision is going to change. Things do not really have a, a permanent, lasting material value here in the world around us. Again, creation has fallen. We look at anything. You leave a house alone, you leave your automobile sitting for a while, you know, the battery runs down, you leave it sitting for years, the rubber's inside the, the engine, the gaskets and things, they start to deteriorate, and a lot of serious problems happen. Entropy is a law of, of science. It's this idea that the world is kind of going towards chaos. And we know that when God came there in Genesis 1, there was a void that was a place without meaning. It had no reason or rationality. It was just this circling, swirling chaos, and it was conceptualized as those violent, dark waters. But where we're at today, we can look at the world around us and see that now that sin has come back to us again, there are aspects of creation, sort of like wickedness, evil. They were unborn. They were not part of God's created order. They were not meant to be part of the blessing and the life of creation. We look at things like bodies, which have lost the breath of life, and we are reminded that the way of death, it is real. And when we repent, when we enact the metanoia, it is to have a change in the mind. It is an active changing of the mind where we have made a decision that we do not want to be on the same path as before. And through Christ, there is a new way. And it is a way that moves us towards the kingdom of heaven. And that's one of the things which is fascinating about this message, that Christ, in the Gospel of Matthew, he opens his ministry up, this idea of repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. He's coming to people saying, change your mind because there is a new way which is available. Move towards this new way. Now, when we think of repentance and we think of remorse, and again, when you look at something like criminology and you start studying people who have committed crimes, remorse and regret are different. Um, usually, you can tell whether or not someone is guilty, whether there's someone experiencing regret or remorse, sort of um, their thoughts about of things. And you can kind of start to, to judge and, and have some good discretion when you're trying to figure out whether somebody is sincere or not, whether they are going one direction or the other. But nonetheless, whenever people are experiencing bad things in life and they actually have a sincere want to get out of those bad things, that's where we really find repentance coming. We live in a day and age where people overemphasize the role of emotion. And there are times and places for certain emotions. But we should have a firm composure. We should have emotional discretion. One of the things that really bothers me about my generation and the, the upcoming generations is that so many people are taught not to have emotional discretion. You know, if you feel an emotion in that moment, live it out, bring it out. It's like having a toddler and not training them to, to use the bathroom correctly. It's like 
um, not potty training children, this idea of having emotional, and forgive the language, but really emotional incontinence is where our modern world is. It just says, well, if you feel it, go in and do it there. And, you know, that's actually not long-term health. That's not very wise. That's not taking people out of, out of you know, those developing states of, of childhood and adolescence and making them mature. We live in a world, and unfortunately the church has largely been guilty of this as well, where we are not teaching emotional discretion. And when it comes to repentance, there does need to be an emotional element where you, you feel sorrow, you feel remorseful for what you have. But then there has to be a mature step that is beyond that, just like confession. Confession isn't just enough to come in and state your sin. You know, I've, I've been pastoring long enough, even though I'm still very young, to know that if people just confess what they have without actually wanting to change, that usually gives them power. If someone has something that is sort of their sin or desire that they have, you know, we all have our, our proclivities that we like. If you don't couple that with a desire to change, you just say and name it, that just increases the temptation. It festers up there in that moment. And if we are to have mature Christians, this idea of repent for the kingdom of heaven is here, you have to have that emotional state of you that says, I'm sorry, but then the adult side comes in and says, you know, I'm not just going to wallow in the emotional. I'm going to have discretion to say, I have to have a change in the mind. And now, the ancient Greeks, they had words for emotions. Trust me, they, they have a lot of them. But metanoia is coupled with meta and noia. Noia is the mind, the thinking. There must be a change in the thinking. Pastor Anthony. Um, you mentioned a difference between remorse and regret, but... I wasn't really sure what exactly that that difference was. And also, how is that related to emotional discretion? Well, both regret and remorse. Again, when you, you go to study um, like micro expressions, and I don't want to go on like a, a criminology, um, like criminal justice rant over here, um, which is what I, I've studied in the master's level. But whenever you, you go to look at the like tiny behaviors that people have, like a lot of angry facial expressions, um, kind of their upper faces is a little bit more fixed and still where um, you look at somebody who's happy and they're smiling or someone who is, who is sad, usually their upper part of their face is really beyond their control. Um, like someone smiling, you'll, you'll find it right here, the little crow's feet next to them. When people are sad, they see it here. When, when you find somebody who is experiencing remorse or regret. Usually those are opposite in sort of like happiness and anger. Like when someone's angry, you see like more of a gritting of the teeth, but their upper face is kind of fixed. You don't see a lot of movement up there. Whereas when someone's happy, you see it a lot up there. Remorse and regret are on opposite ends of that as well. But they're both things which are connected with sort of the emotional side of things. And the reason why I brought that up is a lot of times when we think of repentance, we think of one or the other. Maybe your repentance because you've been the victim of something. You're not necessarily the the perpetrator of it but you know something's bad has happened and you realize it may be starting to corrupt you so you got to confess it and get that out of your system and move along and again even when i say get out of your system that's that's an emotional type of language and then when you look at someone who has done something specific you know they come in they they don't really have regret that it happened they just may have some sort of remorse that they got caught um again when people actually have something sincere about them, they may regret they did something, but when they're insincere, they may just have remorse that they got caught or something like that. But when, when it comes to, to repentance, it has to be more than either of them. It's kind of why I brought that up. It's not just the emotional thing. It's not just the emotional release that says, I've got to get this out of my system. And you don't want to just get it out of your system. You want there to be a change. You want the system itself to have a change. You don't want to just stay in the moment where that 
you know, you get it out and then you keep on the same pathway. There has to be a changing of the pathways. So I don't know if that really answers your question or not, Anthony. Um, but I know that there were some, some questions that you were going to ask re regarding this that are down in our thematic review section of this podcast. Um, but before we get to that, just tying all this back together, the language of Jesus's message is, is clear. You must have sincere transformation of desire if you want to actually move away from sin. And when we find this language of the kingdom of, of heaven being near, what Jesus is telling them is that there is a new way that is near. You know, before Christ Jesus came, when people wanted to be made right with God, they would oftentimes have to do a lot of legalistic things through the law. But after Christ Jesus come, there is a new way that is here. So when you're having that change of the mind, and again, we'll get to this in a second, but you're changing your mind because there is a new way that is near. It's available. It's in close proximity. You don't have to, to wait you know, a couple of more thousand years. You don't have to, to hope that the Messiah will come in, in some unknown form because the kingdom of heaven is near. That opportunity was there for those who would have been eyewitnesses to Jesus' message. So let's go a little bit further. I have some, some questions that I've put together. I'm going to let Anthony read them as we kind of review our theme here. So let's address some, some logical questions that someone would have um, whenever they hear repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Why should people repent? Okay, so if you're a logical thinker, you're critical thinking, you come to this and you would say, why is Jesus even saying this? So let me open up by saying a big part of having good theology is using prepositions well. One of the things that the, the professors that's been very influential in my life, I have a lot of respect for, he come in and he had said, you know, the church's theology is only ever going to be as good as, you know, the theology of the clergy. And the clergy is only going to be able to have as good a theology as their language will permit them to articulate. And Anthony often says that I'm turning into a little bit of a, a grammar snob. I know he brings up the meme, you either die speaking badly or live long enough to become the grammar Nazi. I'm not there, but I realize that words do play a big and important role in our life. And prepositions in particular are very important to understanding good theology. And in English, when we read this statement, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, we find that word for. And it may seem like a simple little word. I mean, it's three letters, four. And if you go back to the Greek, you get the word gar. Again, three letters. But this word for, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near, it is very important because it shows a causal relationship with repentance. What this is telling us is repent because the kingdom of heaven is near. There is a new way that is near. You have a significant reason to be wanting to have a change in your mind. You know, don't just change your mind because you're going to be stuck in the same world. It's not necessarily the best way of thinking, but you could at least hear someone say, well, why should I change my mind if I'm still in fallen creation? But Jesus is coming with the message that says, repent. You do not have to be stuck in fallen creation anymore. The kingdom of heaven is near. That word for is very important. There's a new way of living. You can change your mind away from the way of death because the kingdom of heaven is near. The new way of life that is found through Christ Jesus is at hand. Repent because this new way is available to you. But when Jesus says repent, he is both, he's doing two things really at once. He's speaking to no one specifically while at the same time speaking to everyone specifically. Because the truth is we live in fallen creation. And while Jesus is not calling out any particular sins, now later times in the gospel you will see him come and confront things on an individual basis. You will see him go to the temple. 
he will confront those who are colluding to, to take advantage of people bringing offerings to the temple. There are times where Jesus will say things like, get behind me, Satan. There are times where Jesus will come to people and he will heal them and he will look at their individual circumstances. But right now we see Jesus is talking to the human spirit that runs through all of us because all of us live in fallen creation. We have all been separated from God and the consequences of sin are death. And we find that all around us. I mean, we can look at so many things crumbling in the world, but God wants us to be healed from sin and transformed so that we can come close to him. So, Anthony, what do we have next that we want to look at? If we, if we say repentance is a turning of the mind, does that mean our minds are responsible for salvation? The quick answer is no. But this is a beautiful question. Because logically, and again, if you're a critical thinker and you hear someone, you hear a preacher, you know, on the internet, you know, over there on the screen, um, or through whatever speaker you hear me coming through, and they say, repentance, it is a turning of the mind. A very logical conclusion you could draw from that is, ah, you say People, we are responsible for salvation. You know, we are the, the agent of, of saving grace now. But no, that's not true. Just because we have to make a change in our minds to follow God does not mean that we initiated our salvation. God initiated our salvation through sending his son, Christ Jesus. And when we make the decision in our minds to change our minds, we are merely receiving a gift that was graciously giving to us. And again, thinking it of us as a gift really makes sense. Say, Anthony, he's got a bow tie over there. Um, I actually think the first bow tie that I think you, I, I know I taught you how to tie a bow tie, but I remember um, getting one out. If one wants to wear a bow tie and they don't have one and someone brings a bow tie and says, here, have a bow tie. Did you initiate that bow tie? Did you go out and purchase it? The answer would be no. You you were just receiving it as a gift, even though it may have been something you wanted, may have been something you were looking for. When we think of salvation, we have to choose whether or not to receive it. Just as when I brought Anthony a bow tie, he could have slapped it away and said, no, this is the ugliest thing I've ever seen. I refuse to wear it. Or he could have said, yeah, I wanted to wear a bow tie, so I'll, I'll put this on. When, whenever we find the question of who is responsible for salvation, the answer is always is God. Salvation is found through Christ Jesus, and it is a gracious gift of God. So we'll go on to the, to the next one there. Does the phrase, the kingdom of heaven is near, have some mysterious apocalyptic meaning? All right, I love this question because so many times people hear that the kingdom of heaven is near and they think of people with signs out, even as we were putting the thumbnail together for this, you know, you type in kingdom of heaven is near and you, you typically get the protester looking sign, somebody standing on the side of the street. I'm usually portrayed in sort of a, a manic way where they're, they're not really portrayed as being super sound of the mind. But in truth, there is an apocalyptic essence of this, but then there's also a very practical side of it. So the answer is yes and no. There are many inexplicable things about God's nature, but yet there's a very practical truth in that the kingdom of heaven is near. When Christ Jesus said this, for those who are there, again, you've got people who are eyewitnesses to this message happening. And they would have an opportunity. Again, this is a new opportunity no people have had before this. They have an opportunity to change their minds and receive the new way of life from Christ Jesus. This new era for creation was one that was new. I mean, that sounds like circular logic, but if you can just imagine being there, when you change your mind, when you have a turning in this moment, and again, our ultimate thumbnail has a wind vane on it to show there's a change in way, when one decides to go on the way rather than just the way of death, 
people can truly be saved from the fallen state of creation. So there is a new era. There is a new age that is coming with this. And they are being freed from the way of death. And that's a very practical thing. It has a very material, real truth to it. But at the same time, there are some elements of this which are just inexplicable. And we kind of have to leave it there. When the day of resurrection comes, we will get a new body. One that is unmarred by the tragedies of fallen creation. And we must be transformed in order to exist in this new state. But those who have changed their course from the way of death to the way of life, which is found through Christ Jesus, they will find themselves made new. And we, here and now, we can be made new here and now. Now, it's not the ultimate resurrection, and there is a bodily resurrection, but we can experience sanctification in this life. But in the end, we will receive new bodies, and that's a beautiful thing. All right, we'll go on to the next one, Anthony. What happens when people repent as Jesus commanded? All right, so this is another logical thinker. If you're someone critically thinking about this, you know, you look at it and say, okay, Jesus, he's preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. People come and they repent. So what happens now? Well, ever since the fall into sin, people have been born into a state that was separated from God. God wants us to have a good relationship with him. And when people repent, they receive a gracious new life where they can be made right with God. And this is unbelievably a beautiful thing. As people are being made right with God, we find that the, the relationship that was broken is actually being mended. Now, I almost hate to say words like relationship and broken because we live in a day and age where the church is not teaching people to be aspirational, to be reaching up, to be realizing that God created humanity in the image of God and we should be excellent in every area of life. Instead, we've kind of started to incentivize the, the desperate things, to be a people of desperation and sit around and singing about, oh, woe is me, how broken am I? You know, when, when Jesus comes to John the Baptist in the wilderness and John is baptizing in, in Christ Jesus, the Lord, you know, the begotten Son of God himself, he doesn't come up to, to John and say, yes, John, it is good enough that you are unable to tie my sandals. He doesn't say that. He doesn't come up and say, oh, John, why don't you debate with me about how unworthy you are? One of the most profound things that happens in, in the New Testament is that Jesus comes to John the Baptist, who is correct in saying he is unworthy to untie Jesus' sandals and carry them. He says, you are going to baptize me, sinless, blameless, the Son of God, begotten Son of God. You are going to baptize God himself. It wasn't good enough that John would just say, woe is me, you know, I'm desperate, I'm broken. Jesus says, I want you to be healed and I want you to be righteous. God wants to have a good relationship with us. And I know a lot of times people water this stuff down and it just, it, it, ugh, it, it rings like my, my neck, it rings my soul and brings me great sorrow. God actually wants us to have a good relationship with him. And, and it's not good enough that we be desperate in that, but that we have, you know, aspirations. We, we look up to, to the grace of God and the holiness of God and say, we are going to be excellent in all areas of life because God is a holy and excellent God and we are created in his image and he has called us to be in a good relationship with him. And in this gracious new life, as we have a change of the mind, we enact the metanoia in our lives, we have a new possibility. Now, do we initiate it? Are we capable of getting it ourselves? No. No one is capable of paying the price of salvation. The price of salvation came at Christ on the cross, and no one is going to win up that sacrifice. No, um, no one is going to do that. And if anyone tells you they're going to do that, they are lying or misunderstanding what's coming out of their mouth. 
Because Christ came and he opened the opportunity for a whole new era, a new age, a new way. The way, the way of life. So as we wrap up this message, I want to remind us that we are born into a world of fallen. It is a fallen world of sin. But there really are two ways. There's the way of life and the way of death. People are born into the way of death. It is inherited from our sinful ancestors. Creation is fallen. And the consequences of sin, they taint the world. And we can look all around and see that. And it's tragic. It's often sorrow. The weight of living in broken creation, it is too much for us to bear. It is. It's something which makes you want to be desperate. It makes you want to just lash out about the things in life which make you miserable. But this is not what God desires for us. It's not what we were originally designed for. God wants redemption for all of his creation. God loves all of his creation. And we should repent because the kingdom of heaven is near. And to translate this myself, we should repent, have a change in the mind, because the kingdom of heaven is near. A new way is made available to us. And we should repent just for that. We have no excuse not to repent now that this new way is available to us. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap this message up there. Anthony, do you have any thoughts, questions before we, we close? Nope. Alrighty. Well, if any of you out there in the audience, you have any thoughts, questions, or comments, you'd like to talk with me about anything, please reach out to me and we'll see what we can make happen. With that, God love you and have a blessed day.